1: The following podcast is a Dear Media production.
0: Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman. I'm so excited to welcome back New York Times bestselling author, clinical psychologist, and colleague and friend, Dr. Tina Payne Bryson, who is so awesome and just published a book this week. Called The Bottom Line for Baby. She's also written six other books with Dan Siegel. This is her first solo book. And I'm going to put it in the show notes for those of you who have babies or know people with babies. We're talking about this time period. We have a full new growth as parents, as adults, when we have babies, and our brains are ripe for all of the cool stuff that comes along with learning new things. It's also fraught because there's lots of controversial topics and there's a lot of decisions that you have to make. So we're talking about those today and hopefully after this episode and grabbing that book it'll make those decisions a lot easier. If you enjoy this episode and you haven't done so already, please don't hesitate to subscribe, rate and if you're super into it in the moment, write a little review. What has happened in infancy in the, in the world of parenting a baby that's changed since you did it?
1: A lot, a mm-hmm. lot. It makes me want to do it again, um, but I'm <laughs> too old for that. So I'm basically written this book so I can hand my daughters-in-law. I have three sons. I can hand my daughters in love. Should my boys choose to marry women? Mm-hmm. Um, that is basically going to be like, this is the book you should follow. And so I'm going to intrude upon your parenting in this way so that I don't, because I'm going to have so much to say. So you can zip it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, one of the things that really surprised me is, and it, maybe it shouldn't have, but um, using parentese, which used to be called motheries when I had little babies, mm-hmm. where we extend our vowels and we say, oh, look at the doggy, right? We use that, not goo goo baby talk, but where we use that kind of more sing-songy, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Decades of research are saying you should absolutely do it. There's like no question about the bottom line on that. It is, um, babies prefer it and it develops their language facility, their receptive and um, expressive language. Um, it helps them with rhythm and rhyming. Like it's just so good. Um, sets them up for reading and all, all kinds of things like that. So that's a really good one to know.
0: I remember when I had a baby, I mean, when I had my first baby, yeah. I was in a Rye class yeah. And they said not to use parentees. Right. Now, they didn't say the word parentees, but she meant Yeah. Because she said, basically, she said, don't use a high-pitched sing-song voice with exaggerated expressions. And, um, That's exactly you know, what
1: she yeah. yeah.
0: And um, because it was talking down to the baby. Now, there are many positives about rye, that was one that was not. And we'll talk about that another time. But I remember thinking, I can't believe there was this strange interaction where this whole group of moms was going like, Hello, Penelope, (laughs) you're feeling sad right now. I'm going to change your diaper. And I was like, this is so weird, but they were all made to feel kind of bad for doing that natural thing that we want to do when we see somebody
1: that's just a little, when we see a little baby. You know, a new thing that I didn't know anything about is called this baby led weaning, which Mm -hmm. I thought had to do with, um, breastfeeding trust. And I assumed it meant that you let your baby decide when you're done breastfeeding. Um, Mm -hmm. but that's not it at all. It's really about skipping that step of the mushy pureed baby food Mm -hmm. and going, from, you know, breastfeeding exclusively or formula feeding exclusively, whatever you choose to do. And then going to real food, table food, um, just making sure that obviously they're not choking and that they're soft enough and all of those things. But it's a big thing, especially in the UK. And
0: is there research on baby led weeding? Is it, is it the preferred, I don't know, approach?
1: Yeah. There's not a lot of research on it yet. So it's Right now, it's, a, it's something to try that um, as long as you're ensuring your baby's safety in terms mm-hmm. of choking hazards and all of that, if it's something you want to do, go for it, and it's fine not to do that. So there are, there are several things like that in the book that are very much like, you know, this book at one point in a totally different form, you know, this, the way this book is laid out is alphabetical. So you just turn to whatever subject. So baby led weaning would be under B. And um, and then the way that each um, entry is laid out is two competing opinions, like one would be pro baby led weaning and one would be anti and what the main arguments are. Then there's a section that says what the science says. And in this case, we say there really isn't a lot of, there are a couple of studies, but they're such small samples, we can't really feel confident about what they came up with. And then there's the net, the following section is the bottom line. So in the bottom line, I say either, look, the argument is in We're like with parentese, definitely do it. It's really good for your baby. Um, and then other times I say, there's not great research, but here are a couple of things that you should know for your baby safety or to keep in mind for your family's values. And then in about a third of the entries, I have a note from me where I just either say, look, I'm really biased on this topic because I really try my very hardest to report objectively on each Mm -hmm. of these from what the science says. But of course I have my thoughts and opinions and sometimes they don't even jive with the science. So then I'll put a note in there or a story from my experience. Another huge thing, which I think is so fascinating. And just by the way, just in case you guys are listening, obviously (laughs) I can't be an expert on 65 topics, right? So I dug into the research, but I sent these entries to leading researchers and experts in the world on these topics. I had many pediatricians read this. So, so I could feel confident in, in the, the analysis I had of the research, because some of them have a lot of research and research can be biased. And so there's just a lot in there, but a big one is when my babies were little, the thinking was that you avoid um, allergenic foods in their early Mm months. So yep. you avoid peanuts and strawberries and all that. And now the the thinking in the allergy world is that you actually do introduce those allergenic foods early on, between four to six months. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, if your family has a history of allergies, check with your pediatrician as you're doing it and, and all of that. But you know, that's a big thing. And what they found is that when they're doing that, there's less incidence of allergies. Yeah. So that's another big one.
0: I just want to interject that that is why this book is so perfect and really. I mean I I can't think of another book that doesn't feel like it has an agenda at all. It truly takes you through everything that you're going to need, everything that we're all thinking about when we have a baby. And it's like if you asked your best friend and then you asked your mother-in-law and then you asked the pediatrician and then you asked the developmentalist or whatever it is, there's this beautiful okay, you cut through all of the the I don't know. it's like you cut through the can I say bullshit,
1: yeah, absolutely you can definitely say it to me.
0: It really feels like there's so much out there. There is so much misinformation. There's so much information that misinterprets yeah. wonderful science. There's also bias science, and people don't know how the yeah. study maybe, yeah, was you know, all those things. And it cuts through all of that and you can trust this book. And how often can you say that when, when it covers so many different yeah. topics? So it's a, such a gift.
1: Well, thank you. That's why I wrote it is because this was the book I felt like I needed as a new parent. It is actually impossible to follow every scientific recommendation in this book. They are mutually exclusive at times. So Mm -hmm. one says, parents, make sure you're totally well rested. It's so much better to stave off depression. And it's so much better for your co-parenting relationship, less conflict, which is better for babies, you know, all these things. But then it also says, look, until you're, you know, for the first several months of your baby's life, you should demand feed them in the middle of the night. You can't, you know, you can't do both. You're going to be tired. Um, so I was holding parents in mind as I wrote this, wanting that when parents read this, they really feel empowered to trust their baby and trust themselves and do what works for their family to stop judging themselves and being hard on themselves to stop judging other people. You know, breastfeeding is a huge. Yes. I talk. was
0: just going to ask you about that because that's exactly what happens is judgment on both sides.
1: Totally. And you know, I'm a huge breastfeeding fan. I breastfed yeah. for a million years, um, over two <laughs> years with my three boys. I actually calculated someone posted a meme last week about how breastfeeding for a year is equivalent to working like 32 hour a week job. So it's like almost a full-time job. Wow. And I I calculated the other day, it was just shy of like 10 years. No, that's not true. It was like nine and a quarter years that I breastfed boys. And I so I'm a big fan. I'm a big proponent of it. And There are lots and lots of ways to be a great parent. And if you decide that you don't want to breastfeed or you can't breastfeed or it's not working for your baby or for you, that does not mean you are any less of a parent. And I think about like, you know, we just, you know, why are we ever judging anyone? Because we don't know the context. So like, for instance, a friend of mine desperately wanted to breastfeed. She had such low milk production and she worked with several experts and she just could not make it happen. And she was spending so many hours pumping to try and increase her milk supply that she was not spending time with her baby. Right. That was an easy call. Like she should, you know, to say, I'm I'm going to use formula and I'm going to try to breastfeed as much as I can, but I'm not going to breastfeed. And that is in the best interest of my baby and myself and my family. And so Why in the heck would we ever judge anybody's reasons or anything because there's a context. I guess my best favorite way to say this is something I talk about in the introduction of the book. My favorite part of the book is actually the introduction and the conclusion where I get to write sentences instead of just like talking about the science. Because what I say in there is, look, science is not perfect, but it's, you know, I think the opening quote in the book, I've got it right here. So I'll just read it. It's It's by Carl Sagan from Cosmos. There is no other species on earth that does science. It is so far entirely a human invention evolved by natural selection in the cerebral cortex for one simple reason. It works. It's not perfect. It can be misused. It's only a tool, but it's by far the best tool we have. Self-correcting, ongoing, applicable to everything. And what I talk Mm. about is that we use the science, but no decision is made in a vacuum. The decisions we make as parents are part of an interconnected web. So if I decide I'm going to breastfeed, then that means I'm not going to have as much time to, to do a bunch of other things, including tending to my other kids. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to try and bring them in and have them help. And that's going to be great reading time. And I'm going to do all of those things. But the decision to breastfeed for a long period of time impacts your other children or the decision to sleep train or not sleep train impacts everybody's sleep one way or the other. So. Everything is interconnected. And so we may be like making the best science-informed, sacrificial decision in one area, and we may not in another. And that's really the only way it can work. So just taking the pressure off is so important.
0: If I could have a filter on my eyes right now that had like heart emojis flying out of them.
1: <laughs> that would <laughs> be awesome.
0: That's how I would respond to what you just said.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't you think? I mean, we're we still are so hard on ourselves and so hard on others. And I think just that idea of there are a million ways to be a great parent. And people are so mean spirited even when it comes to the big ones. There's no
0: conversation there's not, to be had. There's no
1: conversation. And you know what's funny is that typically it's really hard to change someone's mind anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're not gonna change that's what's happening right now with the politics. Like right. I don't comment on people, I have people in my Facebook thing that I disagree with. And I very, very rarely comment because I'm not going to change anyone's mind and they're probably not going to change my mind either. I think it's really important. We have people who think differently than we do and feel differently than we do, and that we listen to them and that we use critical thinking. I think we're at a place in history where there's not a lot of listening or critical thinking happening. So when it comes to parenting, Don't try to convince other people. And in fact, this is one of the best um, uses of this book is let's say your mother-in-law is like, why are you licking your baby's pacifier clean? That is disgusting. You're going to make them sick. You need to wash it with soap and sanitize it. You can be like, no, read this entry on germs. And Tina says, if I lick my kid's pacifier clean and I let them be around pets and get dirty, then they're actually much less likely to have eczema and allergies and have a better immune response, right? So it's great that we can arm ourselves with the knowledge, but what are the other big controversial things that I'm not thinking of?
0: I mean, you you pretty much nailed them. I guess discipline becomes yeah. huge and controversial. Yeah. But you're a little bit older at that point. Although well,
1: actually, not really. That. Right. Yeah.
0: And just yeah. in general, parenting as a religion and social media makes it so intense. Yeah. Is that, you know, I see so many posts that come into like the, the explore feed, like you might be interested in feed where it's a lot of super aggressive, angry messaging around these very issues. Yeah. And the nature of it is so polarizing that, you know, I almost feel like to go back to the yes brain. Yeah. I don't see how there's a world where any of these topics, you know, where you get anywhere with any of these topics because people are coming at everyone, already putting them on the defensive and shutting their open mind off. And I worry about that in general, about just everything the <laughs> in the world right now. Right. But in particular, when, when you're already so tired and sensitive and insecure and trying to find your way to then have somebody come at you is so upsetting. And so how could you deal with it in any way other than to go into one of your stress responses? And it also makes me conscious, and you were so beautifully conscious of this in this book, of our work and how important it is to be able to give information, if it's helpful, but also remember that that information is not anything, but there to, if it helps you make a decision that you feel good about, if yeah. it helps make you feel more armed and confident as a parent, yeah. but otherwise I, I would just as soon have people throw it all away. And, yeah. and you have such a magnificent way of making this book. Cause I think a lot of parenting books for a new mom or dad or any caregiver can drive you to just feel so awful and give up and just be like, you know what, forget it. And also feel guilty that you didn't read it and you don't have to read this whole book. Nope. Like you literally can just be like, I just want to look at this one thing. Thank you very much. And...
1: Um, I talked to a lot of parents, a lot of new young parents. What are the, you know, what are the questions? What are the decisions you're having to make? Um, I had a lot of brand new parents read it and give me feedback. And that was, that was really helpful. You know, I think what you said a a minute ago is a big controversial thing. And that is about parenting approaches, like parenting, um, sort of the ways that parents sort of follow a plan or a philosophy, Mm -hmm. which can be really, um, you know, I think that one thing that I talk about in the book is, so I had a best friend growing up that we even went to college together and we shared a wedding dress. Like we were really, really close. (laughs) And, um, I was trying to get pregnant and she was not, and we still had due dates within um, a day of each other and had babies within a week of each other, our firstborns. And she and I were like polar opposite, even though we had been like everything the same and we wore the same shoe size and clothes. And like, we, you know, We didn't ever share boyfriends, but we shared everything else. That's nice. Yeah, it was, you know, good boundaries. Um, But really, you know, she she was super into like the baby wise, which at that time was also called Kids God's Way, which I actually find really an offensive title because there are lots of ways to raise kids God's Way you know what yeah. i mean like that felt so salesy to me like oh well if you really want to raise kids god's way you better re- buy this book like it just felt gross to me mm-hmm. um but you know i was really anti baby wise and i loved um i was much more in the find lots and lots of tools there were some good ones in baby wise as well lots and lots of tools and pull them together and follow my baby's lead that was my kind of a, a philosophy but if you were going to shove me into a camp i probably would have been much more in the baby you know baby led kind of camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll say that, you know, we, there were times we just had a hard time. We'd really worked hard to listen to each other, but there were times we just didn't talk about parenting stuff. And we both felt really strongly about each other's parenting approach. And I'll tell you, both of our kids, um, those firstborns are now adults. They're both 20 and um, her kids are great. And my kids are great. Not mm-hmm. perfect. Neither kids are none of the kids are perfect, right. obviously. But what I really hope, it's funny, I had someone the other day, Elisa. Um, someone I was doing a podcast with, and she's like, I don't have a baby, my kid is seven, but she said I read the whole book in two days, cover to cover, because and I hadn't ever thought about this. She said I wanted to see how I had done. So that's really interesting too. Is like yeah. we all like we're looking for like, did I do it right? Did I do it right? And I hope that this book helps parents feel like there are lots of ways to do it right. And, and what's so great about my friend and I who did things really differently is it's helped me really come to know deep in my bones that there are a handful of things that are really have to's, you know, we have to make sure our kids are safe in their car seats and we have to watch them around water. And, you know, there are lots of, there are a handful of have to's that are really much more about you know, making sure that there's no soft bedding in the crib, you know, in the mm. early months. And those things are important because they're life and death, of course. But aside from that idea of really providing unconditional love and helping our kids feel safe and seen and soothed, all the things we talk about in the power of showing up, there really isn't one way. There isn't a right way necessarily. There are certainly things that are, are better than others. And there are lots of things that seem like they're better than others. But I'll I'll say this after having three kids, those early years, I feel like with my firstborn, actually, as he's grown up all the way, even till right today, I could even say right today with the firstborn, it's always, you know, there are moments all throughout where you go, this feels so urgent and important. If I don't do it the right way, or what if I Mm. let this slip? Or what if I choose the wrong thing? It's going to mess them up. And the truth is there's so many times along the way to pivot and change and be flexible. And most of the things we think are just crucial decisions in those early years. Don't really matter all that much. I mean, really.
0: And it, it, it's a rite of passage to believe that they matter. (laughs) So you can't just give that relaxed approach because it's like, it's like telling a two-year-old that there is, well, maybe a three-year-old that, that, Monsters aren't real and they never don't be scared and whatever. Because I don't know if that's a good analogy.
1: No, it (laughs) is. Yeah.
0: But something that's just like you can't take away that for, and there's something good about it too. Cause I mean, how you have to have a little bit of like this really matters. But it is so true on balance. It's not moving, it's not moving that needle so much, which is so relaxing. And also, I was also thinking, when you said that that mom of the seven-year-old wanted to see how she did, I was thinking about how it's interesting how grandparents often get so offended and rejecting of new ways. Yes. And people joke around a lot about mother-in-laws. And what I think is really happening is that every time that you say, this is the way I'm doing it, and it's a different way than someone did it with with their son or their daughter that you're basically, I don't know, picking a scab of that time as a new parent yeah. where you feel like, am I getting this? And when even all those years go by and you feel great about it, somebody's doing it and doesn't want your wisdom because they don't really think you did it as well as right. they're about to do it. Right. It must be triggering because you get such such a you know awful feeling. And so then you get those responses like, well you, you know, so-and-so turned out okay. Um, and we never did this. And really that's, it's not about, it's not to make someone feel bad or have them not hear you. It's just that same idea of like, I guess you're basically saying, you see, you just didn't do it right. Right. It
1: feels like criticism. Yeah. Criticism. And especially if there are underlying um, insecurities about that, you know, I think that can be triggering for sure. And I think that, you know, the whole idea, in fact, just the opening story in the book is about the whole idea of how an older generation might say, you know, well, so-and-so turned out okay. And I'm like, I'm going for more than that. I'm kind of wanting a little more than, you know, like a nurse literally told me my first baby in the hospital and I was fretting about whether or not I could give him a pacifier because I was worried about nipple confusion. And was it going to mess up breastfeeding? But he was so such a sensitive kid and he, you know, that sucking was so helpful. So I was really torn even in the hospital and, and I kept barraging the nurse with a million questions. And she was like, honey, whatever you decide to do, he's going to be fine. He's going to survive. And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. well, yeah, but thanks. I wasn't survival. That's not yeah. to me, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I think we also have to be thoughtful about how, when we do do it differently, it, it might feel like criticism, but you know um, th- that idea of the gosh. There are so you know there are so many more things that we know now, and so you know there are just lots of different ways. And I'm I'm following my baby's lead. I know my firstborn was so sensitive, and he would get really overwhelmed with noise or with different people holding him. Uh-huh. And we had family members who felt offended that I wasn't allowing them. Like they would hold him, and when he would get fussy, I would give it a minute, but then I would take him. I was not going to leave him in stressed states um, for the sake of the adult. I just wasn't going to do it. And I grew up in a family where conflict avoidance was a really good idea. And so I carry that with me into adulthood, which is going to be really interesting because intentionally as a parent, parenting author and speaker, I chose to avoid controversial topics for a while because I was worried that people who were polarized on a topic like spanking would just throw out everything else I had to say. And those were actually the parents I most wanted to hear my message. So it was a strategic decision, but I have now written a book about the 65 most controversial topics. And so I know I will right. be getting some feedback. I'm going to call it feedback.
0: Feedback. I'm, I'm, I am so curious how that's going to um, go. And
1: I'm going to have to call you and be like, Will you help me with my having my big girl pants on and not have my <laughs> skirt crushed by this criticism? <laughs>
0: it really is going to be. It's really brave to know that you put this out there, and there are topics that all of us just avoid. Yeah, um, and I just think that's so brave, and and parents need it because.
1: Well, and this is, I think, one of the reasons this book is so important. Like, I'll just tell you, this is super. This was super interesting to me. So, one of the other big topic that we forgot about that's really controversial is circumcision. Oh, um, God. Right. I did not add an about um, a, a note from Tina in this section because I don't really want to share with the world whether or not my boys are circumcised because those are their parts. And How I thoughtful. appreciate <laughs> that. So I personally will not be weighing in on that one for the protection of my children's privacy. That seems um, reasonable. Yeah. And knowing what I know now, I might've made a different decision too, which is interesting. But um, the two leading scientists, the two leading researchers on circumcision are complete polar opposites in their opinion. And both of them literally said in email communication to me, the debate is over. There is no more controversy on this. The position is clear. (laughs) So that's why this book is so important is because, and on that one, there really is a lot of science that you can use to support either position. Um, And so the bottom line of that one And this is, again, an example of why I worked really hard to not have an agenda and to really report as I lay out the science and the argument on both parts. And what my ultimate bottom line on that one is to say, look, I really believe that people already have some values, some cultural, religious, um, personal beliefs and values around this topic. And that whatever you feel like you're leaning toward, anyway, you will find science that will bolster your position, that's and right. that's the science that you will be most interested in. So I've laid out both, and this is truly a personal decision. I'm um, here are the arguments and, and drawbacks on both sides, but so I don't come up with an exact bottom line of how every decision should be made. There, there's science on both sides of that, and I really just ask some questions that parents can think about as they're trying to decide what's right for their family. So
0: I think it's wonderful to have a bottom line that doesn't have the bottom line as the decision, yeah. which is really hard to, you know, sit with because sometimes people want to be told exactly what to do, but there's some things where we have to figure out like for ourselves and our baby's temperament and our beliefs and our backgrounds and Your all family, of that. How
1: much support you yeah. have and, you know, all of that. Yeah. And,
0: and to not take that into account and then start to, to judge anybody is really the, the thing where there is unequivocal, that's not cool. Um, I want to talk about one other thing, then I figure you have to go, but obviously I can keep going forever and we'll do this again. I want to talk about temperament and how that influences different approaches to the big controversial topics.
1: It's huge. I mean, I think it's really important. And it's that idea of attuning to your baby and trusting your baby and following your baby's lead. I think the entry I talk, the mo- and I, I talk repeatedly in the book about knowing your baby and, and, and kind of paying attention to what your baby's response is to different things and going at your baby's pace. And, you know, you and I both know from the attachment science that, and I'm emphasizing the word science there, this is research, 50 years cross-cultural research that we dig into that and this is kind of the bottom line of the bottom line is it's really about attuning to your child. I mean, that's what I say in the conclusion, which I told you, like, you don't have to read the book cover to cover, but please read the introduction and the conclusion. They're my favorite part. But there is a bottom line to the bottom line, which is what's most important is that you... Respond to your baby quickly and sensitively, attuning to them, following their lead, and um, and helping them feel safe and and building trust in the world, and and that's the most important thing is that building that what we call secure attachment. But I think that you know temperament is so crucial to understanding everything from, and I don't have a specific entry on temperament. And maybe if I revise it, I'll, I'll think about it, but that's not really a controversial topic. It's not really where you- No, have- no,
0: no. I think it's just, it, 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 the reason I ask about it is because I think that it will help people get to know how to right. think about all of these controversial topics that you might make a different choice with one kid and not another kid of your own.
1: I think a perfect example of that is the sleep training entry. Exactly. That was my very hardest, 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 hardest. I think I need to say hardest 10 more times. Uh,
0: Yeah, God bless you.
1: And I'll tell you, I was also receiving um, some, I'm not gonna call it bullying. I'm gonna say some professional nudging from colleagues who were wanting to ensure that I came down a specific way on a specific topic. Um, And I was gonna follow the science. And so I'm just committed to doing that. But in terms of sleep training, you know, that was my hardest one to write because I, I had to revise, even after my editor was like, no more changes. I was like, but I have to revise it one more time. And I really wanted to be so careful in every single word that I chose. And I also wanted to, even though it's about sleep training, I'm also someone who is trained in looking at the role that a caregiver plays in regulating biophysiological stress states in our infants. And so I was bringing in other fields as I was looking at that one with more complexity than I think most sleep training books look at. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also had to do it in short form because I could have written a whole book just about that. But in that, one of the... and. That's a whole other, we could spend a whole time just talking about that, but really the three main questions people want to know when they're thinking about sleep training. And again, I I start with a good definition because honestly, even if you don't do any kind of baby separate from you, any kind of crying method, um, just by keeping your voice low and keeping the lights low, that is sleep training also. Mm -hmm. So, and very few, I mean, almost nobody. That is a respected expert. In fact, there I, I can say this confidently: there is no one who is a respected expert who suggests that young babies be left in their cribs for long. Like where basically, where the parent says good night, shut the door, and let them scream. Like no ex, no re- reputable expert is saying that these days. Now it's more of a moderate cry it out. That's typically like short intervals of time where parent goes back in. That's really what people are mostly talking about when they talk and about. And they're
0: not. I mean, correct me if. I'm wrong, but they're not ever talking about it before, you know, in the first few months. That's, no. that's not when they're talking about it. It's after four months when, Absolutely. when that begins.
1: Yeah, most experts say, I mean, I, I didn't come across anybody reputable who said anything before four months. Most people say four to six months is the earliest. And a pediatrician that I've been doing a podcast with um, Dr. Phil Boucher called uh, baby in the house. Just it's a short form podcast with just a handful of episodes on some of the topics in this book. He says that often when parents are trying to sleep train, they come in, it's kind of a nightmare. He says, just wait, it's your baby's not ready yet. You know, that kind of thing. So that's good to know. That's another piece of following your baby's lead, but really the three main questions parents want to know is, is it going to work? Is it going to harm my baby? And is it going to harm my relationship? So I go deep into the science on those three questions, but this is where temperament comes in so much mm-hmm. because I really believe that babies should not be left in high stress states for long periods of time. i feel really confident about that based on a lot of research in various fields. And I think there's a huge difference between a baby that's fussing, trying to work it out, but they're not in high stress states and a baby that is in an incredibly, what I would even call toxic stress state for prolonged periods of time. And so like, I feel confident I, I didn't do cried out methods with my babies. Um, Actually, in the research, I learned about a couple of other methods that I would have tried. Like, I didn't, did you know about camping, camping out? Have you heard (laughs) about camping out? Mm -hmm. I didn't know about camping out. That would have been something I would have probably tried. But, you know, I, my firstborn was so sensitive that he could not have tolerated winning. He could not have, it would have, I truly believe for him, it would have been a traumatic event in his life. Now, we all know we all get over traumas and then you have a lot of wonderful, attuned caregiving that, that is a buffer for all of that and it doesn't damage him in you know significant ways. But I do believe it would have been traumatic for him. But my second born probably would have been perfectly fine. He would have fussed a little bit and gone right to sleep. So that's where we really think about our, our child's temperament.
0: And I think that that is so valuable. And I will tell you, because I have two kids who are completely they're so different and when they were babies i had the strangest experience with sleep training which was the opposite of just a lot of I, I feel like it's the opposite of a lot of experiences which is my first one i felt okay letting her cry for you know short periods of time and it only took 10 minutes over 2 days i Amazing. just knew that she was ready and that she would respond because of her temperament. And then I would not consider it for my second child. Isn't that interesting. The, the way yeah. she cried, her whole, just everything about her, I was like, I'm not putting her in that yeah. state. I will not do that to her. And it was such a wild thing because I was the same. I hadn't gotten new information. I just... I don't think that it was okay for her, and i I just wouldn't do it and It was so frustrating for <laughs> my family because right. I was like we just it's gonna take longer, it's gonna be yeah. a different thing with her, and just bear with me, but I'm her mom, and I just I know this as a mom, but it was I think because she was my second that I felt confident enough, yeah, to say that, and I don't know i you know you you gotta go with the information and then who your kid is.
1: That's exactly right. And I I guess who we
0: are, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And what we can, you know, what is our window of tolerance for? Exactly.
0: (laughs) For whatever reason. And my older child is like, she would probably say like, yeah. And you're still like that. (laughs) But at my window of tolerance for my younger ones, cry, just the, the sound of her cry is just, it was different. And, you know, I'll never know why, but I just, it was a different experience.
1: I'm writing an article on this right now. Um, but I think the whole idea of like, oh, my gut told me, or I just, I, what as parents, we feel in our bones, like I, I don't, you knew like letting her cry like that was going to be a bad thing for her because of who she was. I'm writing a whole article about that. We talk about our gut instincts or our instinct as parents, and it's actually a super sophisticated, amazing thing to really dig into because that thing that we're talking about is actually a psychobio-neurophysiological response that is wired in us that is, I know, I, I just made that. I don't think that's a real word.
0: Psycho, but
1: Psycho-bi-
0: it's-, it's Psycho, bio-
1: biological, neurological, and physiological. Right, yeah. right, right. That we really, you know, things happen. Like for instance, when our baby's cortisol levels are up, When they're in stress states, their cortisol levels go up. If they have attuned parents, parents' cortisol levels echo it. So they're basically totally in sync. That was one of the interesting things from the sleep training science too, was that when babies stopped Mm -hmm. crying, that didn't necessarily mean they were calm. That might just mean that they've stopped crying and they might still have, maybe not necessarily, but they might have high cortisol levels, but because they're not crying, which is the indicator to the parent, to the cortisol to go up, is it was, it was mismatched. So I think that, you know, we really should be listening to our instincts and we really should be listening to our baby. But I think one of the things that bothers me so much about a lot of things, and we're talking about sleep training now. So this is a good example. It's often like you buy the program or you buy the sleep training book and it's a one size fits all. And anything that is a one size fits all for babies, throw it away. Red like it's
0: flag. Right,
1: just It's a major red flag. And babies are not similar. Adults are not similar. We have different complex systems that drive us that really should be honored. They truly should be. And I think that's really something important that I really want parents to be empowered about too, is to know that your baby is unique and you're going to get advice that's helpful for your baby and you're going to get advice that's not helpful for your baby. And so take it and then apply it to your, your kid. And that's super important. And, you
0: know, not to beat a dead horse. Is there a better phrase than beat a dead horse? It sounds not terrible. It. <laughs> not to overdo it. There's a little bit of pressure. This is a controversial thing too. We could just do this all day, but yes, we have that bio physio neuro. Yep. I already,
1: yep. no, is good. I think
0: I changed the order. Doesn't um, matter that is really giving us really important information. So, and if we're calling it the that gut feeling or whatever, we have to hear it, except there's also the possibility that our system is a little wonky. And so we have to learn how to unhear or question some of those gut reactions in the service of, you know, this new growth that we get, our our next biggest brain growth is when you become a parent after infancy and adolescence and then this. So then we have to maybe look at what that response is and make sure that it makes sense. And it's Absolutely. not our history or how we were parented or all that. And obviously I'm not telling you new information, but if anybody's listening, who's thinking, wait, my gut tells me something that isn't making sense and to anybody else and it's not working and it's not going well and you know, they're feeling bad or they feel like they can't trust their gut. That's okay too, because sometimes that's a thing.
1: I'm so glad you said that because I think that is absolutely something that our listeners should hear. And I'm so glad you said that. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to qualify what I'm saying in all future things, because Oftentimes, and you know, if you have a little beautiful infant with you now, and you're a first time parent, you might really feel good about trusting your instincts right now. But I promise you, as your kids get older, there are going to be times that your instincts are terrible. (laughs) (laughs) There are times my instincts are terrible. And I remember, I, I, you know, my own experience and every parent I've ever talked to who's honest about it has almost like, um, aggressive, um, fantasies that scare us about our babies. Yeah. Like I, you know, like your baby's crying and crying and crying and crying and you would never do it. But in your mind, you're like, what would, if, what would happen if I just threw this baby out the window? You know what I mean? Like, you know, you're never going to do it. Hopefully if you are, please call, call immediately. immediately, immediately, immediately. Cause that's really important. We never, that's always the first thing is do no harm. We never, ever, ever want to hurt our babies or our children. And so if you need help, call for help, but you know, as parents, like my instinct sometimes is to yell at my kid or to shame my kid or to, or to be really immature and be like, fine, you do it then, you know, like that kind of stuff. So I think what, what maybe we want to call it, not just follow your instincts, but follow your mindful instincts. Maybe that's a good way to talk about it. We want to notice what our instinct is. Think about that instinct, feel that instinct, and then make a decision. So we want to be mindful and intentional when it comes to our gut feelings, because reactive instincts are often not good, right? Thoughtful, intentional instincts are often awesome and better than any expert that tells you anything. So I think that's a super important distinction, Lisa, that we really need to, to hold in mind because just following what you feel like doing or saying, can can be not the best thing. And my kids can tell you that, you know, But uh, <laughs> as can mine. Yeah. But I think it's really, and, and that's what I was thinking earlier about, you know, um, what you were saying about people feeling judged or feeling like they're not making the right decision. I think what's most important truly is being intentional. Mm-hmm. And that comes, that's, that's just as much, you know, if you're reading any book, whether it's, you know, any book about parenting or childhood, you know, often parents are like, Hey, I read this and now I'm worried I'm insufficient parent or I have yeah. messed up or whatever. And I'm like, if you're reading a parenting book, you're way far ahead. Of That's what right. I think you are. Um, but it's really about being intentional and doing our best and knowing that we will make a million mistakes and to be gracious with ourselves, forgive ourselves and mindfully be intentional about those mistakes and go, okay, what was that about? And what, what can I do differently? And why did I get triggered there? Or what is it I need that I'm not getting that's, that's keeping me from feeling patient and connected? Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really important point. I'm so glad you brought that up.
0: There's a, almost a pressure that you're supposed to have the right instincts. Yeah. And as you just beautifully put it, when you, you know, it's finding that space before the instincts kick in, where you could be mindful and have intent, you know, have an intentional moment of like, what am, what do I really, what's really happening here? Anyway, now I'm really beating a dead horse.
1: <laughs> <But> I <laughs> wish I had, I wish I had been more confident the first time around. I really, you know, there were times that I had the instinct to protect my baby in some way, and it was little things like crying in grandma's arms for, you know, several minutes and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, whatever. And eventually I got to where I was like I'm not going to allow that anymore to spare someone's feelings, but you know, there were times that I I my instincts were to avoid conflict or because of my own history or to preserve the adults feelings or to be a pleaser in some way and I got much better at that over time. Um I mean goodness. My, you know, I was 28 when I had my first baby and, you know, I my brain was still developing and, yeah. but yeah, I think, I think that's, that's super important that we, you know, if you, if you feel like your, your baby is crying and you have an instinct to go to them, that instinct is there for a purpose. And if people are telling you, you're spoiling your baby by picking them up too much and stuff, you know, that's all going to be in the book um, to say, you cannot spoil your baby by doing that. But just by being intentional alone, you are a much better parent than you think you are.
0: Here, here, you're 28 years old you have your first baby your brain is going through its third biggest reconstruction right. you're born as a parent the same day so of course your feelings about things and your intentions are going to get stronger and stronger over time alongside your baby's growth and then of course if you have more babies it's going to keep getting more yeah. grounded so it's it's a rite of passage for this whole experience to be a learning curve and this book just happens to make it really a lot less (laughs) anxiety inducing or something.
1: I hope so. You know, oftentimes when parents hear me speak or they've read something that I've written, they will feel guilt. And they will say, oh my gosh, I really wish I had known this before. And to me, that's such great news. That feeling of like regret, like when I say like, gosh, I wish I had been more confident as a parent to trust my instincts the first time around or in those early months. To me, that's when I look back with regret, I might feel some grief or some sadness around it, but I also then can make the shift to say, we should be feeling that feeling from time to time as parents, because it means we are growing and developing and evolving. And I think just like you just said beautifully, our children are on this developmental, you know, pathway as parents we're on a developmental pathway. And the joke I like to make, or the funny thing I like to talk about is like, if I read my middle school, my seventh grade diary, and I think it's awesome and insightful, what does that say about how much I've developed? Right. When I read it, I'm mortified. I'm like, Oh my God. But that means I'm not like a seventh grade girl anymore, right? So I think when we have those pangs of regret or we go, God, I wish I had known this, that should actually be something to be celebrated, to say, I'm developing and changing and I'm learning new things. And as parents, I we love can that. always pivot. We, we can make mistakes along the way or have a parenting approach where we realize, oh my goodness, I've been really dismissing my child's emotional experiences. And instead of telling them to go to the room and and when they're ready to be nice to come out, or instead of telling them, you know, we're happy in this family and until you're happy, you have to be by yourself, you know, that now I wanna be more emotionally responsive and be present when my child's having a hard time you can make that pivot and your child can benefit when you make that pivot and you can even go to your kid or not and say, I learned something and I'm going to do things differently. And kids really soften when we, when we make that change and we become accountable to them and we share our intentions with them around that. So Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of irreversible mistakes. Of course, there are some, but there are very few of them. And so I think we're all on this journey together and we should be developing and growing as parents. And what I hope this book will do is help parents grow and develop in just a few minutes with around whatever they need to know at that moment so that they have more time to really just be with their baby or for goodness sake, take a shower by yourself or go potty by yourself, you know. Um, Or just
0: not have to Google for 15 hours. um,
1: And go down the rabbit
0: hole. Thank you for listening. I'll put all of the links in the show notes for Tina Payne Bryson and her new book and have a good week.